Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. It is Sunday, the 15th of January, 2023, and I hope you're safe and well wherever you are listening in Australia or around the world. There are three stories I want to try and cover off today uh, that some have dominated the news, some I think have slipped a little under the radar. The first that I really want to cover is a story about workers taking action to recover wages that were stolen from them. In Queensland, the Mantle Group created an enterprise agreement that was voted on by just four HR and venue managers that would cover 700 workers across 15 venues that stripped away weekend, overtime, public holiday, penalty rates. This was an agreement that cut millions of dollars out of the pockets of ordinary, everyday working hospitality workers right here in Australia. This agreement has been found to have been an absolute sham. That the Mantle Group, and in particular its head of HR, lied about the agreement, that they did so to deprive workers of their entitlements. Now, the United Workers Union has taken up this case with Morris Blackburn to get these workers their money back. Mantle runs venues in right across Queensland. Jimmy's on the Mall, Pig and Whistle, Hot Walk. They're supposed to be opening up new venues even this month. It is one of the most egregious cases of systemic wage theft that Morris Blackburn has seen in 20 years of practicing law in this area. In fact, it's so egregious that Adam Harcher, the acting president of the Fair Work Commission, found that the HR director for the Mantle Group, a gentleman by the name of Darren Latham, deliberately lied in a statutory declaration to get one of these agreements approved. He lied about how many workers it would cover, information and voting about meetings, and that basically these things just never happened. They never had the meetings, they would never have votes. I only laugh because it's so ridiculous, it's so absurd that there are companies in Australia that think they can get away with this because they have been getting away with it. You know, it's only because workers in union, in the United Workers Union, stood together, said, no, this is not acceptable. This is not okay. It was in 2021 when the Hot Walk Agreement, which was simply a continuation of the way Mantle had been doing business by signing off on these dodgy agreements, when these workers at Hotwalk went, hang on a minute, this doesn't seem right. Now, the Fair Work Commission has requested that the Mr. Mr. Latham, the HR director, actually be referred to the Australian Federal Police. Now, this is a huge step, big step, and it goes to show what can be achieved by standing together in union. 
You know, we always say join your union on this show. You go to australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, to join your union. doesn't matter what workforce you're in. But this is millions of dollars we're talking about, millions and millions of dollars. We know that workers in unions earn more money, $300 plus a week more on average than workers doing the same work who are not in union. In this case, with the Mantle Group, owned by a guy named Godfrey Mantle, whose HR was run by a guy named Latham. Workers were being deceived. They were being stolen from. And look, you know, you would think that having gone through this process, years of this, that the full bench of the Fair Work Commission had found that this had happened, that there's now a referral to the federal police. You might think the Mantle Group or the people involved with it would have some some form of contrition. They might feel bad about it. They might say, you know what, we did the wrong thing, we're going to make it right. Oh, no, 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 no. The Mantle Group has already sought to appeal the case on the basis of apprehended bias before this outcome. They're now seeking to appeal once again on the basis of bias. The spokesperson for the Mantle Group said Hotwalk will be applying to the federal court to have all the decisions of the Fair Work Commission quashed because of bias. I mean, this is ridiculous. Four people in HR, four people in HR are determining the conditions of 700 workers and calling that a workplace agreement, saying that they are representing all of the workers and saying that the votes of four people are somehow equivalent to the votes of 700. What these, what these almost criminal, almost criminal behaviours indicate is that there are corporate executives in this country who do not understand the concept of workplace democracy, who do not understand that they are they are the owners of the business, not the owners of the staff. That they are leaders of companies, not masters of servants. Until that culture changes, and the only way it will change is through stronger laws and stronger unions. But until that changes, we'll see more and more of these cases. You've heard me talk before about Justin Hems and the Maryvale Group. Well, the Mantle Group is right up there when it comes to that kind of wage theft, that kind of pretending to be a good corporate citizen, pretending to be part of the community at the same time as stealing money from the pockets of working people. You know, I can see all the glossy photos of Jimmy's on the mall, all these lovely signs, all these lovely pictures of people having a great time at the Pig and Whistle, uh, James Squire Brewhouse in Sydney. The reality is all of that so-called community spirit, that so-called joyous moments, are built on the back of deceit and theft. And it's only because workers stood together through the United Workers Union 
with the support of their lawyers, Morris Blackburn, and a particular shout out to Jiri Sivaraman, who was the lead lawyer on this, who stood together and said, no, this is not acceptable. Not acceptable. And a particular shout out to the United Workers Union Industrial Officer, Martin DeRoy, who, quote, who says, and I quote, thanks to brave young workers who stood up to one of Australia's richest hospo workers. This decision should prompt Mantle Group to negotiate a proper union agreement with its workers. Now, of course, Mantle Group doesn't want to do that. We know they don't. But the laws that have changed, and hopefully with more changes to come, we will see these sorts of agreements not just quashed, but replaced with proper, decent agreements between workers and employers that share the benefits of the labour and capital investment appropriately and fairly. That's all anybody wants, right? The only people who don't want that are greedy people, are people like Mr. Latham and possibly Mr. Mantell, who are happy to deceive the Fair Work Commission, workers who are happy to take money that's not rightfully, legally theirs. Talking about deceit, I could not let this week pass without talking a little bit. And I want to warn people, this is obviously quite a traumatic topic for many people, myself included, about talking about George Pell. Today, George Pell had uh, his funeral in Vatican City in Rome. George Pell was... A monster. He was a monster no matter how you cut it. Now you can say he was released from prison, he had his conviction overturned, that's fine. Some of the things that I've read about the cases that weren't brought because of the case uh, about the cathedral and the choir boys, uh, the propensity and the consistency of accusations about George Pell himself and children in water, whether it be at a pool or at the beach or in a shower, they're disturbing. They're, they are fundamentally disturbing. And, and equally disturbing is the fact that a Royal Commission and a state inquiry found that George Pell knew or should have known about the sexual abuse and the conduct of priests and brothers under his control, his management, his leadership during the 70s and 80s and that he did nothing. There's a story today in The Guardian about a school principal from Doveton who repeatedly tried to blow the whistle and was shut down by George Pell. There is a brilliant piece in the Saturday paper yesterday by Louise Milligan about the impact that George Pell's death has had on victims of the sexual abuse conducted by the Catholic Church. You know, George Pell... I'm from Ballarat, as many people who listen to this show know. 
I'm from Ballarat. I, I do a lot of my work still in Ballarat. I still live uh, in Ballarat, in and around Ballarat. And Catholicism <laughs> has been a major, a major part of our community for a long, long time. George Pell has divided this community and hopefully with his passing, those divisions will start to heal even more. But anyone who's been to Ballarat since the Royal Commission and seen the ribbons on the fences of the cathedral, the ribbons on the gates of St. Patrick's Secondary College, the ribbons on the fences of the primary schools, where some of this offending, some of the worst offending imaginable occurred, will know that the people of these communities are rallying around to support the survivors and the families of the victims. George Pell's death isn't something that we're necessarily celebrating because his life did so much damage. Am I glad that he's gone from the world? Absolutely. Do I think the world would have been better if he had never been in it? Without question. And I want to offer my support and solidarity to all of the survivors and the families of the victims who, for the last week and probably for many days and weeks to come, will have to deal with more discussion, articles, commentary about abuse, violence, and systemic cover-ups by the Catholic Church. George Pell was a monster. He was a monster. Described by some as a sociopath, capable of being charming one moment, dismissive of horrendous, horrendous behaviour the next. And of course, he rose in ranks and positions of power over the decades. He's a large figure in the history of this country. He interjected himself on issues as varied as climate change, equal marriage rights, the abuses of the church. He was involved in politics, real politics, democratic politics, as much as he was Catholic politics. And I think the responses by people like Tony Abbott speak to how much he influenced conservative politicians in this country. He's gone now. He's gone now. And hopefully, over time, his views will go out of the world with him. And over time, we can repair some of the damage, not just the damage that he caused, but the damage that he failed to prevent, the damage that he allowed to continue. There's no question in my mind that for many many of the survivors of sexual abuse at the hands of the clergy. The fact that he was this so-called boy from Ballarat who had accumulated all this power 
when he was told of these things, when he knew of the problems, that his response was so cold, so dismissive, that that itself adds to the pain and the trauma. Because that's not who we are as a people. We like to think that we will stand up for one another, that particularly for our most vulnerable, for children, often children from families that have very little, very little financial means at their disposal, sometimes children who are in orphanages, that we would stand up for them and that people in positions of power, people who have risen from nothing to positions of power would be the first to take a stand. And of course, history shows that George Pell never took that stand. George Pell, to the very end, remained contemptuous of, dismissive of, and without remorse towards the victims of his church. So my solidarity goes to all who have been suffering. And once again, he's gone now. He's gone. Talking about people who are gone or almost gone, this week has also seen the revelation that Dominic Perrottet, the Premier of New South Wales, wore a Nazi uniform to his 21st birthday party. You know, and part of me almost does have a little giggle about this because there are some really serious issues that we've talked about on this show over the years. Uh, And one of which, which we haven't really had to talk about a lot, is uh, institutional fascism uh, and the Nazi party. Because frankly, we won World War II. uh, And it seems to me that while having an interest in World War II things and, you know, how the Nazis came to power and you know, why that all happened. Like there's a there's a legitimate field of study around the period between 1933 and 1945, right? That's a legitimate thing to have an interest in. There are socio-political ramifications. There are military strategy and tactic implications, all sorts of things that one can think about there. But when it comes down to the crunch, Dominic Perrottet knows And at 21 would have known, it's hard to argue that at 21, Dominic Perrottet, who is the youngest ever Premier of New South Wales, right? So this is a man who is smart enough and capable enough and mature enough to be the youngest Premier ever. We're going to suggest that they want to suggest somehow or another that at 21, though, he didn't really understand the implications of wearing a Nazi uniform in a public celebration of coming of age in a party that was themed uniforms, about uniforms. People wore nurses' uniforms, pilot uniforms, English police officer uniforms, and Dominic Perrottet wore a Nazi uniform. He has come out and confessed this because, of course, it's all started to come out that the internal problems of the New South Wales Liberal Party are almost unmanageable now. You know, the New South Wales Liberal Party is an absolute mess. It's the same mess that the rest of the Liberal Party is. It's just been papered over by the fact that they're in government and able to use the machinery of government to pretend that they're functional. 
the reality is they're not functional. And Dominic Perrottet's admission of his wearing of a Nazi uniform goes to the heart of the problem. Dominic Perrottet is pretending to be something that he's not. Now, I don't know who Dominic Perrottet is. I don't know in his heart of hearts who he is. I'm not sure he really knows at this point. He's a father of seven and a, and a devout Catholic and possibly a member of Opus Dei. I'm not really sure about if that's true or not. He's a member of the hard right of the liberal faction, although members of the hard right say that he's been selling them out to members of the moderates. You know, he's, he's a huge Trump supporter, but, you know, now he's advocating for... Uh, a more moderate response and and that January 6th was terrible. And, you know, he just doesn't seem to have a coherent set of positions. He seems to just want power for its own sake. And maybe that's why, maybe that's why a Nazi uniform appeals to a young Dominic Perrottet. Because probably a young Dominic Perrottet wanted power. There's no question, in fact, that the young Dominic Perrottet wanted power because within a couple of years, he was then the president of the New South Wales Young Liberals. Dominic Perrottet's entire life has been about accumulating power and using it for the purposes of accumulating more power. Gee, he reminds me of another Catholic we've been talking about recently. Now, that desire for power for its own sake never ends well. Never ends well. You know, I don't really care what people wear at their 21st birthday parties. I understand some people spoke to him at the time. I've read reports that people spoke to him at the party saying, what are you doing? As I understand it, his own parents, uh, you know, chastised him the day after for wearing a Nazi uniform. And that's, I mean, that's all good, right? That's a they're good... Uh, healthy conversations to have. But it's also interesting that, you know, Alex Hawke, who's a federal MP for the Liberals in New South Wales, state MPs uh, from the Liberal Party in New South Wales were at that party as well. None of them ever thought to bring this up with him or to get him to clear the air on this earlier on. But 10 weeks out before an election, while the Liberal Party is undergoing chaos, while there's discussions of people burning bridges and wanting the Liberals uh, liberals wanting the Liberals to lose rather than have Dominic Perrottet again, Premier again, that's when he decides he needs to, you know, unburden his soul of these actions from his 21st birthday party. The youngest ever Premier, uh, but somehow or another, wasn't mature enough at 21 to realise that wearing a Nazi uniform, uh, even at a birthday party, but particularly at a coming-of-age birthday party, would have some kind of significant implications in the minds of most people. And I think that's really the problem here, is that Dominic Perrottet, you know, has come clean about this because it's in Dominic Perrottet's interest to come clean now. It's in Dominic Perrottet's interest for us to talk about this in January and hopefully have moved on and be talking about something else by March. And, you know, I hope we are talking about something else in March, because in March there will be a state election in New South Wales. And I hope what we're talking about in March is the litany of failures of the Liberal National Coalition in government in New South Wales. 
hope what we're talking about is the fact that Dominic Perrottet is really not who he says he is, you know, or he is a multitude of people. I think the other day I used the term polyphonic. It's a great word. Van gave it to me. I love it. I'm using it all the time. Dominic Perrottet is the epitome of the polyphonic politician. He wants to deliver different messages to different audiences at the same time, you know, and he's been better at it than Peter Dutton has. Uh, But this really, I think, takes the veil away and makes it very clear that Dominic Perrottet is a liberal politician obsessed with his own power, determined to keep power, and frankly, doesn't really seem to have a coherent plan to use that power for the benefit of the people of New South Wales. I'm... I'm not suggesting that Dominic Perrottet is a Nazi. I don't think anybody has suggested that. I think he's spoken to the Jewish community in New South Wales. He's posted a video apologising, you know, and and certainly, you know, he was 21. But we should put that into its own context. Yes, young people do silly things. Yes, silly things we do when we're young if they don't hurt anyone they're not a, and they're not a serious crime, they shouldn't determine the path of our entire lives. I mean, I, I wouldn't suggest otherwise. But I would say that when you are the youngest ever Premier of a state, when you've had seven children before the age of 40, that perhaps your reliance on a but-I-was-young defence is weaker than for the average person. That perhaps when you have been involved in leadership positions from your early 20s, you have to accept that people will view your actions during those times in a different light to how they might view the actions of someone who isn't the youngest premier in the history of their state. Dominic Perrottet should be thrown out at the next election. He should be thrown out for so many reasons. The crisis in hospitals, the crisis on Sydney's rail, the crisis with the ferries, the failure to develop manufacturing in New South Wales, the failure to pay teachers, public servants, nurses, healthcare workers properly, the constant attempts to divide working people. And by the way, the union movement in New South Wales is doing a sterling job of holding that government to account. And if you're a worker in New South Wales, wherever you work, you should be a member of your union. AustralianUnions.org.au slash wow. That's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday. Hopefully we'll see a Labor government led by Chris Minns in March in New South Wales, you can check out Van and Mai's interview with Chris Minns uh, on our episode of the week on Wednesday that we did just before Christmas. Uh, really interesting discussion with him about his positive plans for New South Wales and what he thinks can be done to make New South Wales a better state and Sydney a better city. Now, that's all I'm going to talk about today for the weekend wrap. Don't forget, you can catch Van and I live. The week on Wednesday is live in the yurt at the Adelaide Fringe Festival. Uh, 
in the uh, last couple of weeks of February and in the start of March. The links are on all of our social media. Wherever you got this, uh, wherever you got this podcast, you'll be able to find links. Go to AdelaideFringe.com.au. Uh, you can find us there. Just type in Week on Wednesday or Van Batam, and you'll find uh, our our tickets there. Tickets are priced at different levels, so we want everyone who wants to come to be able to come. Book in, book early. Uh, there are going to be four shows. Uh, it's going to be a great time, huge amount of fun. So do check that out. Uh, and of course, Van and I will be back on Wednesday with the week on Wednesday. Until then, remember, be kind to yourself and to each other.